Welcome back to the Ed Morrissey Show podcast edition. Joining me as always on Tuesdays, the prince of Twitter, the regent of redstate.com, Andrew Malcolm at A.H. Malcolm on the Twitters is just go to redstate.com and he's all over Red State. He's uh, he's one of our VIP contributors over at Red oh, State, yeah. oh, over yeah. at our sister site. Yeah, um, because uh, apparently I was too slow on uh, too slow on the trigger to get him at hot air, but uh, he's still- <laughs> Well, we're all on the same team. We are all on this. We're all on the same town hall Salem team. So that's all. It's all good. It's all good. Um, all right. Um, <laughs> lots of things to talk about today. Boy, yeah. And at, at least one thing that we can actually talk about now, <laughs> just that it seems pretty likely that COVID-19 originated in the lab in Wuhan and leaked out a new intelligence assessment from the Department of Energy, which is a story in and of itself, uh, assesses that that is the most likely explanation of the origin of COVID-19. It does come with a low confidence assessment in the evidence, but that is more an assessment of, of how much evidence they can actually provide to support that. They are still reaching the conclusion that this is the most likely explanation and that's news to a lot of us who were trying to ask about that explanation, Andrew, and got shot down, got yeah. you know, demonetized for asking those questions, got fact-checked into oblivion. <laughs> In fact, the entire fact-checked industry had declared that a a uh, conspiracy theory until, I don't know, what, 10 o'clock in the morning on, on Saturday? <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. You know, I don't, I've said this before, and it's true. I don't know how the media can ever re-earn its credibility after falling for these now maybe they did it willfully i don't know they wanted to believe it or they were just told and bought it either way it's no reflection on their intelligence and i don't know that they can ever regain them that credibility uh, or trust that's that's something that's very hard to get back I'm not even sure they're concerned about it. I mean, oh no, yeah. I when this came out, people started tracking back to all these fact checks, right? About people who they were saying, you know, declaring it ridiculous that people were still discussing this. And I mean, this is not just the usual suspects, but some, you know, Glenn Kessler over at the Washington Post um, robustly tried to shoot this down as nothing more than a conspiracy theory, and. I'm not impressed with the fact check industry. Glenn Kessler tends to be a little bit better than most about it. Um, but even he was, oh, no, 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 no. This is, uh, all of the people I talk to are saying that this is nothing but a conspiracy theory is right wing nutcase, tinfoil hat thing. I don't know how anybody could have come to the idea that that wasn't even worth discussing when they had the, you know, the level four bio uh, research facility in the city where this was, where, where yeah. the outbreak was its epicenter and they were doing gain of function research on coronaviruses. I mean, it really, <laughs> Andrew, how difficult was it to connect those dots in the first place? Well, it, it that's what I meant by woeful. It shows uh, and uh, what a conscious effort to dismiss what reporters used to think would was a scent and put them on the trail of a story, uh, you know, to check it out and see if it's true. 
there's another question, which is why would they develop these deadly things in the first place? But to dismiss it and coincidental that it happened in that very town or market just down the street. I don't yeah. know. You, 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 you have to shake your head and it, it, it makes me, I assume others, uh, when the media is trying so hard to shoot something down, whatever the latest version of the origin virus origin theory is or Russiagate or whatever, Biden's son's laptop, whenever you read the latest effort to shoot down, you kind of go, well, you know, there might be something there. It, yeah. It's and disturbing. You and you have to ask yourself what the, what the purpose of this was, right? Yeah. I mean, why, why jump in front and just declare it out of bounds? And I'm not talking about just the fact checkers. I'm talking about social media platforms. I'm talking about the larger media institutions themselves. I'm even talking about the government that, that you know, the CDC was pushing back on social media uh, platforms to, to uh, marginalize this type of discussion. Um, why? And and the only thing that I can come up with, Andrew, is that this was all done to protect themselves from being blamed for having having contributed to this pandemic in the first place. Because let's not forget, we, will, we shouldn't ever forget that the, at one time the government forbade any sort of public financing of gain of research function because it was considered dangerous. That changed a few years prior to the pandemic and who changed it? Anthony Fauci, who was, who was at the time and was until he retired, uh, the head of the NIAID and working with the NIH, uh, to provide funding for gain of research, um, uh, gain of function research in places like Wuhan through the, um, oh, it's it called, I, I can't remember the name of it. Uh, they, they, they gave grants to, um, um, is it Eco Health Alliance? I think is the name of the uh, outfit, and they use that funding to to fund gain of function research in Wuhan. And so there's a clear interest in trying to tamp this down because it would, if it came out, which it appears to have now, if it came out that COVID escaped from a laboratory because we were funding that type of research in a place where the stand where clearly they weren't up to the, the task of keeping it contained. Uh, that would mean that the U S government was partly responsible. <laughs> let, let alone it's a, a, a strategic rival. Uh, yeah. That, that's the other part. Why are we doing that in China? Well, yeah. Why are we helping them develop deadly germs? I, it's, it, it's beyond belief. It's, it's like, um, I forget the name of it, but uh, the, the outfit that, State Department was funding that was organizing the list of who should be censored. Um, oh, the, the global defense, global disinformation index. Yeah, yeah. GDI is what we is is the. You're right. It's exactly the same thing. And we're back. Andrew's back. Actually, Andrew is uh, Andrew's in a um, high wind situation, and uh, the power went out there. <laughs> and it well, wasn't I it wasn't my talking that was the high wind. No, that would have that would have been the power. You would have been able to power it yourself. Well, we just cut you off. Hot air, high wind, you know, 
Oh, there you go. It's probably it's probably my fault then. I'm sure it is. <laughs> well, we were talking we were talking about hot air in a different context, of course, with the uh, the suppression of the uh, Wuhan uh, lab leak theory, which now apparently the government this is saying is probably the most likely of uh, explanations here, Andrew. Um, we can wrap this up and get into your columns here because I'm not sure how long your power is going to stay up. Um, but I mean, do you think that this is going to be embarrassing enough to force media outlets to rethink their approach to this? Or do you think that they're just going to say, Hey, too bad. We sort of like a, you know, what was it that Harry Reid said after, um, after it turned out that his, uh, accusation against Mitt Romney about, uh, tax cheating was nonsense. Um, he says, we, well, we won, didn't we? <laughs> I, yeah. I guess the media won, right? Yeah. I, in a sense, I guess they won. Although, I, unfortunately, the, the country that gave them constitutional protections lost uh, by this kind of shoddy behavior, slop, sloppy or unethical. Uh, probably a lot of people are thinking it's more unethical, but uh, yeah, it's very disappointing, and I don't know. I don't know where we go from here, except the the advent of the internet is wonderful. But what I think an awful lot of people have not adjusted to is that it puts much more responsibility on the individual user than before. You know, when I was back in college, it was Walter Cronkite. And at the end of 22 minutes, you would say, and that's the way it is. And you can't say that anymore. I'd say that's the way we want you to think it is, is that would be the sign off today. Well, I'm not necessarily sure it was it was not this not the meaning back then, too, but it was clearly nowhere near as bad as it is today. Nowhere near as awful. No, it's awful. Uh, But you see, there, there was the trust back then. Uh, and the media would was in on uh, Watergate. Of course, that was Republican, so they would be uh, aggressive on that. Um, I don't know. It's 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 very dispiriting uh, uh, from someone who spent much of my uh, yeah. It's this amazing Ed, and I'm been in the the writing business for fifty six years, and I'm still only thirty nine. Uh, I, I, it's it's disappointing to see what I regard as a decay in the professionalism of um, the media that I was in and was proud to be in. Yep. Yep. I mean, it's, I mean, it, and again, I mean, I, I think that it's, it's almost a complete debasement, right? Because uh, there was this, Saturday night, Woody Harrelson was hosting, guest hosting on Saturday Night Live. I don't know. Have you seen this? Have you seen this no. story? No. Okay. It's so Woody Harrelson is kind of squirrely, right? He always has. Yeah, been. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's a great actor, but politically, he's just, you know, all over the place. And intellectually, he's kind of all over the place. Great actor, though, and a very entertaining guy. So he gets up there and he's. <laughs> He says, he says, you know, I was hand, I, I'm, I'm going to paraphrase here because I, I can't play it here. He says, you know, the last time I was here, it was right about the same time I was handed this script, right? And 
you know, people are trying to get me to make this movie. And I'm, I read the script and it said, uh, basically it, was, it went like this is that, uh, big pharma and government, uh, got together and created this, um, this hysteria that led to an emergency where governments were locking people in their houses and wouldn't let them come out unless they brought the drug cartels drugs. <laughs> <laughs> and kept and kept buying the drug cartels drugs. And he said he didn't say big farmer. He did say drug cartel lead us off. He says, and I said that that's crazy. Nobody'd ever believe that. And I mean, you almost could have heard a pin drop yeah. from the audience at Saturday Night Live because they were like, "Oh shit!" Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And, and you know what, Rolling, you know, Rolling Stone, right? Rolling Stone that that famously anti-establishment, you know, um, counter-cultural publication. Do you know how they covered that uh, Woody Harrelson's opening monologue? Yeah. Woody Harrelson spreads anti-vax message on Saturday night. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh it's like trying to be Babylon V. Oh my, oh my. gosh. Yeah, you know, they went from they went from fighting the man to being the man. Let me tell you something. Rolling Stone is definitely the man these days. Well, you know, they didn't they have they have a new owner that that I found I don't remember who it is, but that was unex I was surprised by the new ownership. Um anyway, it doesn't matter, but that is that is pathetic. That's that yeah. is pretty that is pretty darn pathetic. Yeah. Yeah. Right, indeed. We get to, we, before your power goes out again, we are, yeah. we are racing the clock here. Before your power goes out again, I do want to get to your I do want to get to your um uh columns this week because uh, you've got a, a, a great VIP column and you've got a, a really intriguing and I think heartfelt Malcolm on the right about Jimmy Carter. And we talked a little bit about this last week actually prior to you doing yeah. your commentary on this jimmy carter's in hospice still in hospice and i think there was i believe i saw this today is that he's actually still eating and you know able to have discussions with people so he's not like checking out um yeah. super soon but he's just in a position where he doesn't want to have any more medical interventions and he wants to have whatever time he's got left he wants it to be peaceful without a bunch yeah. of medical conditions. exactly it's um it is touching you know i was not a fan of his during his presidency and it was very disappointing uh and he got he got his in 1980 i guess if you're into the karma thing but um what my point was that if if this had happened back when he was president he would never been able to announce I'm going into hospice and I'm not having medical intervention anymore. And it, to me, this shows how much our society has changed. In the 1980s, the mid 80s, I wrote an awful lot for the New York Times about this whole right to die movement yep. and living wills. And there were actually people uh, very clandestine at the time who were arranging their own death because they were going to die anyway, and they were tired of the suffering um, for them and for their, for their family. But it all had to be very quiet. And it wasn't uh, Kevorkian-esque kind of thing. It was just what people did. There was a whole network of doctors who facilitated this if the patients, um, if they documented that they, that they really wanted it. 
And I wrote a book called This Far and No More about a woman who had um, Lou Gehrig's disease and said that she didn't want to die anymore. And that ended up being an NBC movie. Uh, but today, Jimmy Carter can just come out and say, and his center announced for him that he's not going to take any, any more in medical interventions, which means they manage pain. Uh, I don't know. I suspect it's cancer. Everybody in his family, siblings and parents, died from cancer of one kind right. or another. Uh, so if he's not getting intervention except for pain, then he's got some kind of cancer came back. He had cancer that he had treated, liver and brain cancer, which seems rather serious. Uh, but then he announced uh, several months later that after radiation and chemotherapy, uh, it had gone. I'm assuming it came back somehow, unfortunately. But yeah. uh, it, it's a good measure of, of how our society changes. There's very few societies in the world that have changed more than the United States because we're in it and we see it every day. We don't realize it. It's like grandparents saying, oh, you're getting so big. Well, I don't know. It's the same height as I was yesterday, but they don't uh, see you every day. So right. um, it was an interesting moment uh, to say, and I, you know, I wish him I wish him well and and peaceful time. He wanted to be in the house, the ranch-style house that he built with Rosalind. 77 years married. Holy smokes. Yeah, that's impressive. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Um, uh, but some people, remember Art Buchwald? I don't know if you remember him. He was the I do humor remember Art yeah, sure. he, he went into hospice and, and, and then a month later, he, he wrote, he, he was a humor columnist. He wrote, he wrote a column saying, well, I'm still here. <laughs> he, he, he went on for, for some months uh, in hospice um, or at least two or three. So uh, I, I don't suppose there's an, an imminent end for Jimmy, but. Um, no, but he's getting, he's getting the proper care for. Yeah. 98 years old. That's a pretty good run. Yeah, it's an excellent run. The longest uh, living uh, president in office or not um, ever and uh, uh, the longest after. And I think, you know, you can make an argument. I think I said in that VIP piece that uh, he certainly has had, well, not just the longest post-presidency, his presidential afterlife, but uh, perhaps the most productive, very, very active in um uh, Habitat for Humanity, which Habitat said that he and Rosalind had participated over the many years in some several thousand projects. Uh, every year he'd do, he'd do some in the U.S. and then they'd go abroad and do some overseas in Africa or somewhere, um, building houses for people. So, um, yeah. And he actually, I guess, was involved in building his own house that he's in now for his end days. A uh, very good and fitting end, I would yeah, say. Exactly, exactly. And there's plenty of time to to recap his life. Oh yeah, yeah. But yeah. We don't need to get into that right now. I think uh, no. This is, a, this is an interesting enough story on its own to to talk about. And, I think so. Uh, yeah. And we, it seems to me, we need to. 
I regarded it as progress. You know, this isn't euthanasia. This is people saying it's my life and going and getting my blood cleansed by a machine and then feeling nauseous for 36 hours afterwards, three times a week is not my idea of living. And so a certain percentage of people on dialysis quit every year. Yep. And soon after they're gone. Yep. I sat in on some conversations, very painful ones between doctors and patients who were giving them the options. And then we would leave and some days later, the patient would tell them what they wanted to do. Some of them wanted to continue with therapy. Some said, no, that's it. I'm going to go home. Yeah. And they went home and, and passed in peace like Jimmy Carter will. Well, I don't tell this story often, but a woman who worked for me did exactly that. Really? She, uh, yep. She, um, she and I got hired on the same day. Actually, I was being hired as the manager and she was just being hired as a as uh, one of the people that was going to be working for me, um, we got hired on the exact same day. So I was kind of, you know, felt a little bit of a connection to her and um, she got sick. She was a uh, transplant patient and I knew that she was having problems with the kidney. And um, so she went on leave on medical leave and I would check in with her from time to time, see how she was doing. And um, one day she showed up in my office and I, initially thought, oh, well, maybe she's thinking about coming back to work because I would have welcomed her back. And she says, I want to talk to you and I need to close the door. I was like, okay. And she says, I just want to let you know that um, I'm not waiting around for another transplant. I am coming off of dialysis and I will probably be gone within the next week or two. And I was stunned, right? Yeah. I mean, this was not a, she was not an old woman. She was younger than I am now. And, you know, I, I, you know, asked her, you know, are you sure that that's what you want yeah. to do? Just because I was concerned. And she says, no, no, I, I am. Um, apparently prospects for a transplant. There, there were reasons why tr prospects for a transplant. were. When was this, Ed, roughly? This would have been 98, 99, maybe. Oh. Maybe 2000. Mm. It was, it was quite a while ago. Yeah. And, um, and, uh, uh you know, she, um, so she, she had an 18 year old son. I remember that. And she said, can you, you know, if, if the opportunity comes up, can you see if you can help him out? And I said, sure. We actually tried to get him a job. And I think he decided to do something else. We tried to get him a job just, you know, but I think he decided that he wanted to do something else, which is fine. Um, but yeah, she was gone within two weeks. We got two we got, weeks. Okay. Yeah. No, she just stopped dialysis. And if you're on dialysis and you stop, it's not going to take long. No, oh, it's right. I mean, that's why they have to do it three times a week. It's what your kidney would be doing, constantly cleansing the blood. Uh, right. But, you know, these machines, my mother was on a, a, um, what do you call it, a respirator. Uh, yeah. And those things, now this was more than 20 years ago. So they're probably more sophisticated now. But in those days, they would uh, determine by studying the, the, the oxygen content in your finger. You know those things, those clamps they put on your fingers to see how much sure. oxygen? Yeah. Uh, they would tell how, how much oxygen they would put through in these ventilators. Or, and they would actually, and this stunned me, it still does, they would actually program in size. I mean, oh, they sure. hadn't, 
Yeah, yeah, but they had machines that would say, well, okay, every 20 minutes or 22 minutes, this person would do better with a sigh. And so they program in an extra big breath. And I just thought, oh my gosh. But I, fortunately, touching wood, I've, I've not been involved with this kind of medical interventions, but uh, I could see how uh, you would appreciate the extra life, but at some point uh, it might be, uh, be more of a burden. Well, I that, think you have that, to, I think you have to be hoping that there's hope that you're going to be able to move off of those things. Right. Yeah. And if there isn't, then you have to start making decisions and right. Jimmy Carter's making those decisions. That's what he's doing. And yeah. I, I respect that, you know, even if maybe I would make a different choice and I'm not sure that I would, but I still respect the choice. Yeah. Um, so it's a great story. I'm glad that you have that Malcolm on the right to focus on that. Um, Briefly, let's get to your other column here, though. Sanctions haven't stopped Russia, but Biden claims more will this time. Yeah. You know, I, I got to say, there's not much you can do other than keep applying sanctions and hoping that it's going to have some sort of disincentive against it, because the other option is the other two options is do nothing or go to war. I'm I'm actually sort of in favor of the sanctions thing, at least <laughs> as opposed to fighting. Yeah. As opposed, yeah. as opposed to doing nothing or fighting, I would, I think sanctions are, are a, a pretty good middle option, but I think we have to be realistic about them, which is yeah, that. And that's, and that's not what politicians do when they announce no. them. It's like, okay, we're really going to be tough. So tell me, you know, when uh, did the sanctions on Venezuela change things? No. What changed was the president and this president said, uh, well, we don't need quite so many because we need some Venezuelan oil. And yeah. so they're doing a trade off. They're kind of letting some of the sanctions off Iran. He, uh, Biden took off some sanctions because he wanted them to come to the table and they didn't come to the table, but they got some sanctions relief. And we've been putting, we put sanctions on Putin in 2008 when he took over two provinces in Georgia. Obama put, put uh, sanctions on him uh, in 2014 when he took over Crimea and when he fomented these uh, insurgencies in eastern Ukraine. Uh, and then Biden, you know, he's been, it's like giving the weapons to Ukraine. You just don't do it all at once, he thinks. You, 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 you spread it out. But First of all, I think sanctions might have had maybe some impact if they realized the impact before the invasion. But afterwards, uh, Putin is invested. He can't say, oh, OK, well, yeah, OK, if you're not going to buy my oil, then I'm not going to invade Ukraine. You know, I mean, that's just not going to happen. Um, so we've had these sanctions. None of them have done anything except make people poorer. Uh, but each one of them is announced and the media buy them as, uh, oh, OK, we're really getting tough. Well, by now, with all these sanctions Biden's thrown at Putin, you know, we're probably sanctioning his driver and uh, one of his many girlfriends. As far as I know, it's it's ridiculous. And second, because he's had so many sanctions before, Putin uh, was prepared for that. He changed the, how the currency is handled. He made the banks uh, built up their their gold reserves and made the banks uh, do things in rubles rather than counting on dollars so much. So those banking sanctions uh, would have at least less of an impact. Uh, so, you know, to present it as, OK, well, now we're really going to get tough. He said, well, 
what were the sanctions last March? You know, I've, were those just like hand slaps and now you're really going to get tough? It's just I, I, that kind of um, phony PR hypocrisy just uh, makes me ill. And so I wanted to call it out. Yep. No, I, I think you're right. I think you're right. All right, we should probably wrap this up before uh, the great wind blows you away one more time. <laughs> it seems <laughs> to be dying down here. Well, we're up a couple thousand feet, so it's not it's not like we're in a meadow. Um, <laughs> so when the clouds come in, we're in the clouds. Uh, awesome. Uh, yeah, right. So anyway, well, we do have some old jokes, Ed. I got a couple of jokes for you today, too. Andrew. Okay, good. Let's have them. All right, well, I'll start off. So a linguistics professor was lecturing to his class one day. In English, he said, a double negative forms a positive. In some languages, though, such as Russian, a double negative is still a negative. However, there is no language wherein a double positive can form an, a negative. And then a voice from the back of the room piped up, yeah, right. <laughs> I like that. I like that. <laughs> lay, lay one on me then man okay well um um a uh a oh, this is seth myers these are old a boston restaurant is offering customers a special valentine's day burger that comes with an engagement ring on the side for three thousand dollars the burger will be well done and the response of yes will be rare <laughs> <laughs> yeah if you're, if you're offering it up with a burger i think i, I think yeah. that's a, yeah. <laughs> and finally there's this is this isn't a joke so much as joe buck tweeted during the playoffs uh during the nfl playoffs uh joe buck uh who had the weekend off and i guess he lives in st louis so he went uh he went to a starbucks uh, an hour before the playoff game in San Francisco, an hour in St. Louis. Right. And, and the guy in line said, I thought you were doing the, the playoff game in San Francisco. And Buck said, he looked at his watch and said, Oh shit. And ran out. <laughs> <laughs> now that's a, that's a pretty good practical joke. I like no, that. That's a good one. Yeah. That's a good All prank. Right. I like that. I like that kind of attitude too. I got one more for you and then we'll okay. wrap things up here. I told my boss yesterday that three companies were after me. So I needed a raise uh, in order to stay in this job. And he says, what three companies are after you? Well, the gas company, the electric company, and the cable company. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, well on that there's, note. <laughs> there's a lot of that going around. There is a lot of that going around these days, especially Andrew Malcolm, the prince of Twitter, the regent of redstate.com at A.H. Malcolm on your tweets and also the master of all uh, of all winds and power in uh, <laughs> the great state of uh, Tennessee. I snapped my fingers and it came back. There you go. All right, Andrew, we'll talk again next week. Good Lord willing and the winds don't rise. <laughs> yeah, and the wind. Yeah. OK, bye. Thanks, everybody. Now that the political infighting is over and the sausage is being made in the House, it's time for Republicans to unite with one cause, 
and fight back against Joe Biden and his radical administration. The GOP has promised to investigate Biden, family corruption, the border, big tech censorship collusion, the origins of COVID, the FBI, and intel agencies' attacks on the American people and more, and it's time to hold them to those promises. Here at Hot Air, we won't let up on holding them accountable. We unapologetically fight back against the radical left and squishy rhinos in Congress who fail the people. We bring you the truth and go to war against Biden's woke communist agenda. But we need your help. By becoming a VIP for uh, hotair.com, you can help us in this battle for our country. Just look at the House Democrats leader, Hakeem Jeffries. He's another divisive radical leftist and his communist Sesame Street speech proves it. If Republicans don't halt the Biden agenda and conservative media fails to hold them accountable, it could mean the end of our great country. Join us in the fight. Become a Hot Air VIP member or a VIP Gold member today and use the promo code SAVEAMERICA to receive a 40% discount on your membership. Stand with us and fight to save America. We will never give up. And thank you very much.